Lindsay's mom died suddenly in 2011. Lindsay was 20 years old at the time and was completely destroyed by her death. After being thrown into the world of grief, Lindsay experienced how little we as individuals and as a collective know about grief. Since 2019, she has dedicated herself to supporting others through their grief journey as a grief educator and bereavement counselor. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Lindsay's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Lindsay. And although Lindsay was one of the people who responded to my uh, request on Instagram for people who would be willing to share their stories, Lindsay and I both also participated in a Mother's Day. It really ended up just being a post, but kind of a Mother's Day project that Lindsay from the Joyful Jewelry put together, where she gets all uh, people who are in this arena. I think no, I maybe we weren't all daughters without moms, but but some sort of loss. Um, and in the grief arena, Lindsay, the joyful jewelry, Lindsay puts together a post where with each of us holding up a word um, in part of a sentence about saying that we know that you we are here with you and that you're not alone on Mother's Day. So Lindsay was a part of that, and so was I. And um Lindsay has all well, she's going to tell us her story, but then her story has led her into um, this grief arena in many different ways. So um, as always, Lindsay, I thank you for being here. I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you tell us a little bit about yourself and your grief journey with your mom and then how that has blossomed into so many things in your life. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Beth. And I really appreciate the space and the time that you actually open up for individuals like myself to be able to share our story. Because as I previously mentioned, there is so much power in being able to share your story of loss because it never gets old and it it always helps you reflect on it a little bit differently, a little bit more. And, and it's just, there's just beauty in being able to have someone else witness your story. So I, I really appreciate you having me here. Um, so yeah, so I'll introduce a little bit about myself and how I arrived to this um, grief space. So as Beth mentioned, my name is Lindsay Fernandez. Um, I know we had, uh, Beth had talked about Lindsay Joy. So that's how I differentiate because I even did like a live with her. And I was like, okay, that's Lindsay Joy. And this is Lindsay Fernandez to kind of help differentiate. But um, pretty much I am a grief educator and a bereavement counselor. Who, work, who works with individuals one-to-one and also on a group level to help them understand their grief journey. Now, this, before I go in a little bit deeper about the work that I do, this all stemmed um, back in 2011 when I was 20 years old and I unexpectedly lost my mom, right? Um, I was a sophomore in college, I remember it was my second semester, and during this time frame, it had literally been two weeks after we celebrated her 43rd birthday, so when she unexpectedly passed away, literally, like, to say that I was left in shock is an understatement, just because 
even as it happened, and even as I saw her for myself that she had died, I did not want to come to terms that this is actually the reality that I was living in. And I really struggled with accepting the fact that there was nothing that I could have done. So I dealt um, with a lot of guilt. And I think that to this day, I still deal with a lot of guilt because uh, for a long time, I felt like it was my job to keep her safe. I, I felt like it was my job to just take care of her, right? So to give you a little bit of background, my mother experienced um, several mental health related conditions. Um, she also had physical health related conditions. So I took on the role of being caregiver from a relatively young age. Um, I want to say I remember as far back as when I was like seven years old, I remember when she would have um, like her surgeries for her chronic back pain and she would come home and immediately my dad would tell me all of the medications that she had to take so that I could be there to remind her and pass her her medication as she would be oftentimes sleeping from all the pain that she was experiencing. So I really took in that role of like, being her caregiver because I wanted to bring back the mom that I once knew, the mom that was present, the mom that was, you know, there for me and all the things. And I really didn't from that point on know how to like bring back the focus on myself because I literally just invested 100% of my time and efforts into simply making sure that I could take care of her. Well, um, long story short, when I was 11, my parents divorced. And a lot of the things that my mom and dad experienced in their relationship, uh, which was something that my brothers and I weren't really aware of, became kind of like known because my dad was no longer there to protect us from whatever, you know, was going on with her, which was the fact that she was struggling mentally. Um, so my mom over her lifetime received several mental health disorders, um, whether that be bipolar disorder, whether that be um, borderline personality disorder, and even schizophrenia, right? So which ones were the accurate ones? I mean, who knows at this point? And honestly, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, she was simply struggling mentally. Um, so really, our relationship turns from me being a caregiver to me like really resenting her for a long time for me not being able to have that childhood or even uh, being able to be an adolescent um, in the carefree way that a lot of my friends were able to be, right? So even though like I did take on the role of a caregiver, I did feel resentful. I did feel like, why can't you be normal? And I also did feel angry with the world. I grew with the world because despite the fact that, you know, family members, friends knew what was going on, you know, in our home with our mom, like, I felt like there was a lack of support and understanding. And usually we were just simply met with, well, you have to understand she's sick. You have to understand, you know, this is not her. But it's like you try telling, you know, a teenager of 15 years old, you have to understand why your mom, you know, is doing these things to you or like, you know, acting in erratic ways and again it wasn't until as I became an adult 18 19 years old where we started to have a relationship a more stable relationship um, and then by the age of when I reached 20 I really felt like I was regaining my mom back I felt like I was regaining the mom that I had been fighting for for such a long time 
And so when she died unexpectedly, um, I really was just angry with the world. I was angry with God. I was angry with everything in between. Um, and it really, I really sank into a very deep, dark hole because I felt that throughout the times in which I did try to share my grief, share my story and share all the thoughts that were coming up with me. I was oftentimes met with the, you shouldn't say that you shouldn't think that, um, you know, she's in a better place now. Uh, God would never do anything to, you know, harm you or make your life worse. And all of these, you know, very um, conflicting uh, messages that really made me resentful of the world that live outside of me, but it also made me confused as to what I was experiencing. For a long time, I, I thought, you know, maybe I am losing my mind because, you know, when I do actually try to share with people, I'm feeling like this, they just simply dismiss me or tell me, you know, why haven't you moved on? Like, it's been a year, it's been two years, it's been five years. And it wasn't until like my darkest times where I really thought like, you know what, I, I really can't do this anymore. And I wanted to call life quits back in 2017. And I was like, okay, I want to call it quits, but I also want to give it one last shot, which is when I sought out uh, mental health counseling and finally received the validation, the comfort and the support that I had been looking for since the time that my mom died, which by that time it had already passed like six years, six, seven years. Um, so I felt like I had a little bit more fight in me. I started to rebuild kind of like that sense of self just because I felt like I had lost my sense of self from a very long time ago. And that is what kind of led me to also starting to write my very first book, which is called A Lifetime with Death, where I thought that my grief started when my mom died, but my grief had actually started from many years before. And we don't realize that we all experience grief to some capacity, regardless of the fact that we have lost a loved one physically or not. Like there's so many secondary losses that we don't acknowledge that are actually related to grief. So um, in my book, I really uh, shared like those dark days in my life where I just felt like parts of me were dying out or like parts of, I had to pretty much let go of parts of me in order to be who I needed to be for my mom, for my family, for others, everyone else except myself, right? So it really kind of just uh, tells the story of just someone really just trying, <laughs> trying to be the person that her mom wanted her to be, but never really truly being able to. Um, and nonetheless, after she has died again, it's been quite the journey of just being able to cross paths with people that really get it and are in no shape or form, most of the times related or even known to me. Like sometimes conversations with strangers have been so much more comforting and so much more validating than perhaps conversations that I've tried to have in the past with, let's say, family members or, or whatever the case be. And I've learned to really look at everyone who has even tried to support or not support with a lens of more understanding, because I understand that grief is complex. Grief can, grief has a lot of layers and not everyone has the capacity to support us in the way that we need. And I think that after I had that realization and understanding, I was able to move with more 
ease rather than, you know, expecting and expecting or demanding that people be there for me when they couldn't, right? So um, kind of fast forward to 2019, I really felt like the grief space was my calling. It had been for quite some time where I said, I want to work with people that have experienced the loss of a loved one, because I feel like this is something that as a society, we don't talk about enough and we don't understand enough, right? We have carried out these ancient belief systems that really no longer serve us, right? Uh, And it brings me back to, I even did um, research on the time um, of Freud when he first developed, you know, the the grief, uh, the concepts of grief of what that is and what a normal, like a quote unquote normal uh, grieving process should look like, which was like the end game of detachment where you no longer, you know, feel inflicted by pain with your love about your loved one's death. And that's such an antiquated way and a very boxed in way to even think about processing our grief because our loved ones never stop being our loved ones, regardless of the fact that they are no longer physically here. And that's what I work with my clients to build and to understand is that, yes, grief is painful. Their, the loss of their loved ones is always going to be painful, but that whole concept of moving on doesn't exist. We don't move on from our loved ones, right? We move with them into a different kind of norm. It's not the norm that we wanted or perhaps expected, but we still bring in who they were, their essence, their love, their quirks, and all the other things that made them them, right? Because when we die, we we still leave ourselves behind. We still leave that love. And that's what I um, pretty much work with my clients to just understanding that connection, but also understanding their own path and their own grief. Because again, grief for two people are not going to be the same. Everyone's going to experience their grief the same, the differently. And everyone has the right to ask the questions, to say the thoughts that no one else wants to hear, to express the emotion that no one else is prepared to necessarily witness or help them process or support them through. So really, this is what's brought me into the grief space of just wanting to normalize these conversations, but also wanting to bring education, Um, because a lot of times, even I myself um, felt prey to like just believing all these belief systems that we don't even half the times know where they're coming from. We've just been told somewhere along the line, like, this is how you do it. And then we believed it where again, it's not until we question it ourselves and actually like do our own research and do our own evaluations that we realize, well, this was said by someone, but it doesn't make it truth, right? It may have been their truth in the time, but we're all human beings that deserve to have our own truth, even if it looks different, right? So it's really about how can we honor our process, our journey, and just be more compassionate towards ourselves and have a little bit more patience. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much uh, a little bit about my story. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And I, and I think, you know, I, I did the same thing when, after I lost my sister, I went back to the, to really looking at the loss of my mom and, and you look at this, we have no, been giving no tools on how to deal with grief, you know? Yeah. Um, and all those platitudes and things that people say, like you talked about platitudes, if you don't know what they are, those 
words and phrases that people say that are intended to make you feel better, but kind of feel like a knife in the back, like the God has a plan and she's in a better right. place and all that kind of garbage that just does nothing right. um, to help you. But I started, you know, I think, and I think mine was during the pandemic. So I had time to think and time to research and time to be in my head. And I would have all these aha moments where I'd be like, wow, like I'm really like figuring this stuff out. And then I would like do some research. I'm like, oh yeah, other people have it figured out too, but it's just kind of, you know, when you feel it, you feel so alone and isolated. Um, you know, you said about, about normalizing and educating and then everyone has a right to grieve in the way that works for them. Like, I think that that's so, it's so powerful. I mean, it, it is what we have to try to do to provide the space so that people can grieve. And, and you and I choose to talk about it. You know, some people maybe talking about it isn't their jam, but maybe drawing pictures or painting or writing poems or, you know, there has to be, I think, for each person, some sort of way to be able to communicate what they're feeling, whether it's with words or song or um, paper and pen or crayons and pens. Um, so I really appreciate, um, I love that you have gone into this space. Um, and so your website is Life After Loss, and it's not .com, right? It's .co? Right. Okay. Yep. So we will put that in the show notes. If you are trying to find Lindsay, um, I will put that in the show notes so that you can find her website. And you said that you offer one-to-one um, counseling and also group counseling. Yes. Do you exactly. do the, because the, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because I think that it's important to be able to offer that safe space of, because again, whenever we're immersed in this uh, this grief world there's a lot of unknown there's a lot of like areas where you're just like I don't even know what I'm doing and sometimes that one-to-one support is initially what you need to kind of even like feel like your feet are on the ground again right Mm -hmm. and and the group support is more to establish a sense of community when you're ready for it right because not everyone is ready initially to to share their stories with other people especially when it's multiple people right there's the fear of judgment of judgment of criticism of what will they think so it's about more getting them comfortable with their process first Mm -hmm. before they can begin to to share with other people I had bereavement counseling after my sister um, and we didn't find out that I was eligible for it until after she had been, it was a few months after her death, but I would, the days of the appointments, I would be like, well, I don't really don't know, you know, what we're going to talk about. And then I'd get on the phone with him because it was during the pandemic and I'd be like, oh, okay. Our time is up. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. And it was just like, you know, you, you mentioned um, during your sharing that sometimes strangers can provide um, more support and understanding sometimes than, you know, family and friends, just because of the commonality of the connection that you have of the underlying grief and loss. Um, But I wasn't always sure what I was going to say. And we just always had a great conversation. And he was a big part of me starting. I mean, I started just on social media and then started the podcast. um, And he was a big part of it because I loved processing and talking and you know yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um 
I also, we were talking about, this comes up a lot that we say that everyone will experience death and taxes, right? You said that, you know, we all experience loss and that, that that's a big, you know, theme of your book, um, the secondary losses and all those kind of things. And especially since the pandemic, I mean, everyone, even if it's not loss of a, a physical loved one, it was either loss of a job or loss of a wedding or loss of a vacation. Every, I mean, the, 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 the epidemic of pandemic grief, like I'm be interested to see in 10 or so years, like where we are with anxiety and depression and all of that kind of stuff, just because the grief has been tremendous. And I don't feel like that that gets talked about enough. Um, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. And it's interesting because the same way you mentioned like death and taxes are the two things that are for certain in life. Like you would think that because they are for certain, like people would, I guess, want to talk about it and understand it a little bit more, but it's almost seen in the realm of negative or bad vibes. Right. It's almost like, well, you're not going to go to a party and start talking about death, even though I do like and it's not that I initiated. Usually people come to me without even knowing that I'm in the grief space and they're like, oh, I lost, you know, this friend or I lost this this cousin. And it's interesting because I think it's my energy that uh, allows people to feel open and comfortable enough to share those parts of themselves, even if they don't know what I do. Um, but again, I think that just as a whole, and David Kessler himself said it, where we're just such a grief illiterate society, where it doesn't matter how many times we're like, you know, trying to talk about these things, trying to normalize it, trying to spread awareness, like you still come across people where it's like, oh, no, I just don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that comes and stems mostly from fear. Because I think people fear that if you think about it and talk about it and learn about it, then it'll become real for you. Mm-hmm. Because I can say for myself, death didn't become real until I myself had experienced it through my mom, where death is a very foreign concept until it's not. Yeah. Right? Until it right. knocks on your door and you're just like, what is this? I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't realize it was going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. It was supposed mm-hmm. to happen to everyone else, but not to me, because you think mm-hmm. you're the exemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, I mean, my sister battled cancer for almost 10 years. Like, and I still, because I think as part of your brain's that protective mechanism, like I, like I knew that she was going to die, but I never really thought that she was going to die. I mean, yeah. I know that doesn't make any sense, but my niece and I talked about that a lot. Like, I mean, even when she came home on hospice, we were like, Mm, you know, like, I just, I just don't think your brain allows you to, to go to that, the the deepest part of what that's going to mean to you in your life. But before that, like, no skills, no, no discussions on, um, you know, just holding space, just being with people, like, we don't always have to try to say something to make it better. Because quite honestly, there's nothing that's going to make it better. The person's not coming back, you -hmm. know, so you can't really make it better. And I've even been struggling lately with the, you know, saying, I'm sorry when you, you know, mm-hmm. when you see somebody and you're like, I know, I know that their father died and I'm sorry. Like, it just feels like, oh, like, yeah. I mean, I am sorry, but it just does nothing to offer any, like, so are they. Thanks. You know, so am I. Yeah. Um, but there, it is, it's hard. It's hard not to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when people are in 
discomfort. Both, absolutely, absolutely. Both the griever and the person that they're interacting with. Absolutely, and, and again, I think that stems back to our childhood, at least for mine, right? Because for me, I grew up with the belief system of like, you know, when people are sad, when people are just not feeling, you know, their best, it's like, what can you do or say to help them feel better, right? Where it's like, oh, I can take them out to eat. I can say this, I can do that. Where, where when death happens, that those, those beliefs or those rules are thrown out the window because this is not something to be solved. This is not something to be fixed. This is not something that can be reversed. And I really do think, as you mentioned, that we are uncomfortable with silence or uncomfortable with that, under, that, that understanding that we really can't do anything to change this right now as much as we would want to, as much as we would want to take away the pain that people are experiencing. That's, that's really not our job and that's not our role. Our role there is to simply be with them, mm -hmm. to simply allow them to, to express or feel whatever is it that they're feeling. So for myself, as, as much as it makes me uncomfortable still sometimes to hold in that silence, like when people tell me I've, you know, my, this person died or I've experienced this loss, like sometimes I just allow them to feel the, the weight of those words and of whatever they're feeling. And maybe offer a hug if they're comfortable with it. But if not, I just, you know, sit next to them or, or stay on the phone with them, whatever that looks like for them. And again, initially the reaction is, oh my goodness, what am I doing? I'm not doing anything useful. But like you see throughout the conversation how helpful it can actually be to just hold in that silence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it is difficult. It is difficult yeah. to be able to do that. Um. I also just want to go back to the fact that you said it was really six to seven years later um, mm -hmm. that you sought out counseling and validation and support are the words that you used. So I want anybody that's listening that thinks, you know, if they're only a year into their grief, like everybody says, the first year is the hardest. And then a lot of people say, no, it's actually the second year is the hardest because the first year it's, it's the first birthday without them and the first Christmas. And then the second year, it's kind of like, oh, this this is real. Um, yeah. And, but everybody's is different. Um, but for you to be able to say that even six to seven years later, that it was, it still was okay to seek support and counseling and validation, even all those years later, and that it still was helpful to you, I think is something really important for people to hear. Cause I, a lot of times people say, well, you know, I never did counseling and it's too late mm -hmm. now. I don't mm -hmm. think it's, I don't think it's ever too late. Exactly. It's, it's never too late because even now, like for me, it's been 11 years, right. And I'm in the grief space and all the things. And that's one of the things we were actually talking about earlier is that sometimes people forget that we're still human beings, um, that our stories very much is, we still feel them. We still heard about it and we still experience our own grief, even though we are helping people in their journey. Um, even to this day, I still seek out different kinds of like mentorship, counseling, whatever I feel called to, because you never stop understanding your grief. You never stop learning about your grief. 
And for me at that time, like when I was like six, seven years in, like, I just felt like I was tired. I was exhausted of like running in the same circles of like not understanding of just simply feeling like an alien in my own experience. And it wasn't that I was doing anything wrong. It wasn't that I was experiencing my grief wrong. It was just, I was not in an environment that was conducive of me actually being able to acknowledge and you know understand my own grief I was being kind of shifted into a space of like you should reject this this is not the way you should be thinking or feeling or you should just stop thinking about it where it's like okay if it only were that simple right if we could just stop thinking about it so I think again I will never get tired of seeking out like just further support just because it, it never stops. The journey never stops. And as we develop through our grief, because that's really what it, what it asks for, is like we get to see it and hold it differently mm-hmm. and with more understanding and a compassion towards ourselves. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for all of the work that we have done and continue to do, even though it may feel like we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you used you used the phrase when you were sharing, <clears throat> moving on doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get over it, like you said earlier. Yeah. It's not a problem to be solved. Um, the thing that I've I've learned to use that works for me is growing with my grief because it's exactly. not going to go away. It's a part of who mm-hmm. I am because I was lucky enough to have loved and been loved myself. But if I want to learn how to live with it I have to learn how to grow with it and take it with absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely and it's not always easy like I I I, 100% of the times when I start working with people one of the first question is like Lindsay when will this end Lindsay what can I expect to feel better because as much as we you know shout to the top of our lungs there's no timeline people still think and kind of hold on to almost that sense of hope of feeling like okay if I can just know that this is going to go away in six months in a year in two years and three years then you know at least I have like an end in sight but I tell them very lovingly where it's like listen like this is not a matter of when do you finish or when is this going to be done it's a matter of how do we learn how to cope with it how do we learn how to navigate through it how do we learn to kind of embrace it rather than resist it because resisting it is what causes that friction of like, why does this continue happening to me? Why do I continue feeling it? And it's not easy. It's not easy and it takes time. But at the end of the day, like we all have it inside of us to be able to really nurture that grief and nurture ourselves. Because again, this is a life-changing event, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is a normal reaction to loss. But sometimes our definition of normal is like, again, very different. Like we think like crying is abnormal, even though that's very normal. We think being angry, being frustrated or other things are not normal just because it doesn't necessarily confirm to the perhaps societal like comfort levels of like, well, we don't really like seeing people cry or we don't really like seeing people being angry. Um, So yeah, so with grief again there there is absolutely no timeline and everyone is going to move through it differently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep it's 100% true well i normally wrap up the podcast with to see if there's something that you some final thought you want to share um if there's anything else that that you 
resources that you want to share, um, anything like that? Absolutely. Um, so I recently actually just became affiliated with Grief Coach. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are a tech support app, which give grievers that space that they need um, before they um, understand what kind of supports they need. But they also send them through text, helpful tips, Um, helpful reminders, words of encouragement, words of support, and all the things just through a text. And it's something that they don't have to respond, right? When you receive the message, you can just simply read it, be with it, um, allow it to move through you the the way that it moves through you. But um, again, it also allows your family and friends to sign up for it as well if they are interested in knowing how they can support you of just like a few tips or reminders here and there. Um, So that's definitely something that if you go on my website, you will definitely be able to access it um, and also get a discount. Um, And as far as last words, um, I would just say that again, when we learn to silence the white noise that lives outside of us, which again can represent a lot of different things. It can represent society, family, friends, or just in general, the environment. When we learn to silence that white noise, we then are able to give space to understanding ourselves in our own grief journey. And as much as we feel like we don't know what's happening to us or what our life is going to look like moving forward. Just know that you don't have to have all of the answers and that we're all figuring it out as we go. And sometimes the best that you can do for yourself is try to focus on today. Because when we start thinking about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, again, all of those things are overwhelming. So I just encourage people to take it a day at a time. And I know that that can sound very difficult because we're used to planning, we're used to organizing, we're used to knowing, but when taking it a day, even taking it a day at a time becomes too much, taking it a moment sometimes can also be helpful. And just learning that you are doing the best you can. Even if you don't believe it right now, you are doing the best you can. And that just because people, the people around you are not able to support you in the ways you need doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that are more than willing and able to support you. So I know I said a few messages there, but my, the, the overall message is to just know that you're not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> know that what you're feeling is how you're feeling and you have every right to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sending everyone so much love because this is something that while we do learn to cope and navigate through it, it never stops being hard. Yeah, you're right. And I love what you said about um, silencing the white noise. I've never really thought about it that way, but it's so true. We have so many, so many inputs of things from our external environment that just um, clog up the filters in our heads that don't allow us to really process things and think about things clearly, which, you know, in the middle of grief, you, you don't always think very clearly, but silencing out that white noise so that you can figure out what's important to you and moving forward in your own grief journey. Um, yeah, I really like that. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lindsay. We will keep in touch in our grief space 
uh, together Absolutely. and you keep us updated about that book. And once, you know, I'll be happy to share all the things about your book when that happens. Um, and it was really great talking to you today. Thank you for being thank here. You. Thank you so much, Beth. And like I said, thank you just for having this space open to not just myself, but so many grievers out there, because again, when we can give voice to our pain, we can be able to feel heard, feel validated, and, and simply feel supported through our journey and understand that none of us are alone. And it also helps to be able to connect with one another and realize like, no, there's a lot of people out there that are also experiencing something similar or that understand and get it. So I, I really appreciate the space that you held for me um, at this time. And we will absolutely keep in touch and, and continue crossing paths. <laughs> Sounds good, Lindsay. Thank you. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.